Hello, I'm Liz Jones. If you read my diary in the Mail on Sunday's You magazine, then you'll know me and my life pretty well. But if you've always wanted to know more, this is the place for you. Welcome to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast. I'll be taking you behind the scenes of this week's column before digging back into the archives to find some of the most shocking and hilarious stories from the last 20 years. I'll be doing all this with the help of my assistant, friend and confidant, Nick. Hello. Good afternoon, Liz Jones. We're looking a little bit loved up today. Well, I was sitting watching Married at First Sight Australia, the new series... On slow motion. And suddenly my phone went ping, 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 ping. So I look at my phone and women, the length and breadth of the United Kingdom, had been tweeting screen grabs of Nigel, the it, photographer in Australia. Hilarious. And, it to me. and all the messages were going, Liz, Liz, turn on Channel 4. He's on Channel 4. He's on Channel 4. And they're sending me screen grabs, sending me screen grabs. And then they're also sending me comments about him. And they're saying, well, he seems very confident. <laughs> but don't you think that's sweet that women see Nigel and they suddenly want to get a hold of me and tell me? I think it's hilarious. And, and poor Nigel, no anonymity for Nigel, is that? No, poor Nigel. <laughs> poor Nigel, he's famous. <laughs> but he had black trousers on and black jeans. Neckchief. Neckchief, all his... Camera gear slung around him like a sort of cowboy. He's Your ovaries exploded, he said. My ovaries exploded. <laughs> no, and then you started pinging me because I I was watching it later. I was doing dinner or something, and I was getting these screen grabs that you were then taking from Twitter and sending me in your excitement. But it's so funny that women all over England know how into Nigel I am, and they just are so excited to tell me. The only person, Liz Jones, that doesn't know is poor bloody Nigel. Yeah, even though there's oceans separating us, he would have heard by now, well, don't you think? We actually, after your giving up on men last week, we actually had a letter from Pauline did, Yarmouth. Did I give up on men last week? Well, until you saw Nigel until gracing your screen. Nigel. And Pauline Yarmouth echoes my sentiments and he says, Liz, 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 it seems no man is going to match up to Nigel. Just email him. You have nothing to lose. Send in a friendly email to say hello. Who knows where it may lead? And there is nothing worse than living with regrets. Sage words, Paul. Sage words. You're clearly a woman who creates her own opportunities, so don't overthink it. Open the email, get in touch and see what happens. No, I did email him last time and I said, if ever you come to England, let me know. And he said he would, but he didn't think it was likely. So I left it there, really. Okay, I've got one thing to say to that. Come on, grow a pair. No, but he's the man, isn't he? He's the one who wears black jeans. No, just grow a pair. Just email him. What have you got to lose? There's no I was slightly no thinking, this is quite a recent marriage at first sight because it's during lockdown. And I was slightly thinking he had a look of being remarried about him. What makes him look remarried? A wedding, a wedding ring? He looks like he's been eating. <laughs> I don't, think, I don't think single men eat, do they? They just sort of, they just don't bother. He could just be cold and lonely and eating in restaurants every night, taking his comfort from dessert. Just email, for the love of God, I can't stand but this anymore. But it's funny, t- talking about Nigel, every week I have to search through my email box 
for archive pieces, interesting archive pieces of things that are relevant today or whatever. Yeah. And I found quite a few sort of foreign trips that I was doing. So I was going to Bangladesh and I was going to South America and all these different places and all in the emails, my little emails to the picture editor saying, could you ask if Nigel's free? (laughs) See, that's what you want, a bit of proactivity. That's what you need to do. You can't. Just sit back. No, but I did. Every time I went to Bangladesh, I said, is Nigel free? Yeah, but you said to me the other day on text, he's my soulmate. Well, do something about it. I have. I arranged for him to come on all my foreign trips. Okay, do something about it in 2021. Just do. All you've got to say, it's really easy. All you've got to say is, Hi, watching Married at First Sight. Was so pleased to see you. You look really no, well. But How I are you doing? I like a stalker. I get cross when my last boyfriend listens to the podcast and I say, why are you listening to it? And he says, because I like to hear the sound of your voice. How are you is not the equivalent to a stalker. It's not. Just do it. Who, who out there thinks she should just bloody email him for the love of God, get on with it? Tell me, support me. Well, part of my research into Nigel... I got this new book called Love After 50. And how did that work? Did it tell you to email him? It's by a new... It didn't say to email him. It's by Francine Russo, and she's a New Yorker. And I kind of hate American writers because she says she uses word like folks. If some of you folks in it... Don't say that to me. Don't say folks. Yeah, I'm not keen on folks. And at the beginning of the book, she says, at this stage, after 50, you're more emotionally stable. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Okay. And and more focused on the present. You know what you have to have. True. True. Nigel. But also what you can live without. Partnering is no longer about building family and fortune. It's about sharing intimacy as grounded individuals. Sex is not past fail anymore, but about becoming erotic friends. Erotic oh, friends. Do what? Erotic friends. Once a man's past 50, he's not erotic at all. He just wants to sit down and watch Countdown. No, that's why I date toy boys. Um, no, no. So no. She assumes, Francine, that when you're past 50, you're less career ladder obsessed. So have more time for each other. Has she met you? And I don't have a pension. I've got to be pretty obsessed. <laughs> she says, money or lack of it, this doesn't matter. Yes, it does. I it would does. say the thing that scuppered every relationship, marriage, whatever, is I was more successful and had more money than they did. And it doesn't work because you resent paying for everything. You yeah. resent paying for the villa in the south of France, for the honeymoon, for the cars, the electricity bill, the person who yeah. cleans the fish pond. You just, you end up resenting them. Well, you don't want to be someone's cash cow, do you? What you want is equality. You Not necessarily after someone to pay for dinner for you all the time, but you want them to pay for dinner sometimes and you pay for dinner sometimes. It's just about being mutual, isn't it? And both being able to contribute in a fairly equal way. But I don't know why she thinks that money or lack of it doesn't matter and that you're less career ladder obsessed. It's like saying when you get to 50, you're past it. I don't understand that. And I don't really understand a book that's about love after 50 because it's all sort of on the internet now. What's the difference between when you're 40 or 30? If you're, if you're, is she advocating internet dating? 
Well, she met her newest partner on the internet, yeah. So what's the difference then between, like, being 30 and going on Tinder or Bumblebee or whatever they're called and being 50? What what, what do you do differently? I, well, I think I think it's about your attitude. My, I, at my stage in life, Nigel, I don't put up with stuff that I perhaps would have put up with when I was 20. Yeah. I suppose the internet gives you a tick box, doesn't it? Do you have to look like this, 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 and this? If not, bye. But it, you can't tell anything from the, from the internet. Do you remember I did a dating story for You yeah. magazine about three years ago? Yeah. And the men looked sort of okay. But you turn up to meet them, and one of them, who I turned up to meet <laughs> near Leyburn, he was bald, and he said, do you want to know what I really believe? And I said, well, I thought he was going to talk about my shoes or whatever. And he said, I believe that there's a race of reptiles who live under the under the Earth's crust, and they rule us. We're all, we're ruled by reptiles. So did you insert in your profile no reptile <laughs> And another man I met in a pub in Hampstead, he, he only lived in the suburbs, and he said it was too far to drive to see me. They're all awful. I mean, yeah. I think most men over 50 are pretty awful, really, I think aren't you need they? a spark as well. Like you, I, I love that thing you're in a bar. Apart from Nigel. Apart from Nigel. But you had a spark with Nigel, which is why you should email him. But I like that thing in the bar, and you look across, and you think, oh, he's attractive, and he looks across at you, and he's thinking, you know, she's attractive, hopefully. And then you sort of have the little glances, and then you might go up to the bar at the same time and get chatting. It, that's nice. I like but that. But you've normally got... Food down your sweatshirt, haven't you? Well, it depends. If there's someone I fancy, I probably sort of pretend I eat like a bird and stuff. So <laughs> I'm very carefully aim it into my mouth. There was some. There was but anyway, she publishes a list of questions. Actually, the worst thing in her book is, "Are you prepared for your, to meet a new man?" And she says, "Have a pedicure." I don't really need a book to tell me to get a pedicure. Thanks very much. I think that's absolutely patronising and ridiculous. And do men notice if you've had a... I mean, don't get me wrong, be tidy, of course, paint your nails, like toenails if you want, but do they kind of notice if you've had a pedicure? Do you? Look at my feet. I know. We're going back to your rosy shells, aren't we? I mean, I have the best feet in the entire universe. You don't like my feet, And I do do think men do notice. I don't know. I've never had a men look at my feet. No, they're immaculate. They haven't got any... Corns, always beautifully polished, no. soft as a baby's. No, I've had men stare at me boobs, maybe me oh, eyes. I think if you, but oh, not if you get in bed and you take your socks off and you've got revolting, dirty, overgrown feet, it just makes me want to vomit. What are you doing getting in bed with socks on? What, where's the romance? Where's the leader? No, I you take your socks off and then you've got dirty, horrible, long nails. But you should be in stilettos at that point. If you're heading to bed with a man at the point it matters what your feet look like, you should be in stilettos. And No, and... I've normally got socks on. Oh, God. Well, this is this is where we're going wrong, isn't it? Not for Nigel. I bet you'd shed them at Nigel. Do you want me to do it? Should we go through these questions? Yeah, you ask me the questions and I'm going to quick fire answer. Okay, so she's this saying... to her questions from the book. She's, I'm reading from the book and she's... this. It's and Francine doesn't look 50 either, does she? No, she doesn't. At all. Um, She's saying, ask yourself, question one, do I fully understand who I am and what I need now? Yes. I need someone who can cope with a strong woman, realise the dogs come first and change light bulbs. Question two, am I available to new people in my life? I Do I put up barriers? 
Well, with my last one, (laughs) (laughs) right? He kept interrupting me when I was working on the laptop. So the laptop faces the window, and I'm like, I'm working. Don't touch me when I'm working. So we had this rule. This will tell you whether or not I'm available to new people in my life. We had this rule. If he was going to approach me when I was on the laptop, he had to beep like a lorry reversing. Beep, 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 so I knew it was coming. We're possibly going to edit that out in case Nigel listens. Just, just, we don't want to put him off. Right. Am I desperate for a partner? No. Yes, you are. Nigel. Nigel. Only, only Nigel, Nigel, yeah. You reek of desperation for Nigel. <laughs> Do I feel strong enough to take risks? Well, there was a point before lockdown I was going to go to Sydney because my sister's still alive and I thought, well, I'll, get, I'll use her as, as an excuse. <laughs> Do it. And I bought, this is how keen I was to go to Sydney, but I didn't go in the end because then we had lockdown. I bought a suitcase and I bought a mulberry wash bag to go. So I was ready to go. So I was able to take risks. I bought a suitcase. You, you bought a mul- He doesn't care about your bloody mulberry mul- wash bag. No, but it meant I was going. Just email him for the love I of God. I can't stand people with dirty wash bags. Every time I've used my wash bag to go to London, I get back, I wash it. And I put my toothbrush holder in the dishwasher. But that's all very virtuous and everything, but that doesn't get you out of the conversation we're having, which is email Nigel. Grow a pair. Right, next one. Do I believe no one could make me as happy as my ex or my late spouse did? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, okay. Should we go past that one? Um, Do I feel unlovable? No, I'm very lovable, actually. Do I need to clear space and time in my life to devote to an intimate relationship? No, they can just fit in the gaps. Edit that for Nigel, please. Do the relationships I've had fall short of what I want? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, right. Okay, pass. Have I let go of my anger or am I still internally arguing with that bleep, bleep, bleep? I think I am still a bit bitter about a few things. I'd probably say bitter and twisted. (laughs) Not ready to let go of anger at all. And here, read her stupid tips. Read her stupid tips. Oh, I'll read them. You read the stupid tips. Get enough sleep. Well, you could do that on the plane. Eat regularly and nutritiously. Stupid arse. You should be doing that for yourself anyway, not to attract a man. Exercise. I don't need to exercise, actually. Okay, we're going to go back into the she's as fit as a gazelle conversation. Shut off your... This is a book. It takes a book from a stupid American to tell us this. Shut off your phone and go outside. Look at a tree or a flower. But isn't this all sort of self-care? What has this got to do with the relationship, apart from being in a good place to have a relationship? Do you know what she then says? Go on. Breathe the wind, feel the sun, smile at a baby. I usually vomit when I see children. Pet a dog, say good morning, get touched, have a pedicure. Well, you're trying to get touched, didn't you, if you're trying to get a relationship? You're working towards getting touched. I actually do quite like having a massage, just hiring someone to touch me. I'm quite into the hiring them someone to touch me and then they go away and not leave their their underwear, their pot noodle packets, their beer cans. I, I can go for the hiring someone to touch me. And then she says, when you're feeling like life has destroyed you, try noticing those you have it worse. I sometimes do that. I think, well, you know, that person's in a wheelchair or whatever. But I just think that's it can make you more depressed because you think, dear God, they've got it even worse than me. I also think 
it's all relative, isn't it? You have to honour your own life. So if you are feeling badly about your life, yes, you can always look at someone and someone has always got it worse than you. But you can also flip it around and look at what the positive is in your life. Rather than being depressing and looking at how awful everything is around you, flip it around and say, yeah, this is awful, but this is great. See, I'm like an American book now. But it's just terribly patronising and not useful. Yeah, it doesn't sound very useful. I think, to be and fair... Having, you know, having an erotic friend, I mean... I don't want to get erotic with a man over 50, I don't think. The problem is, the problem I found, is they're very, very, very set in their ways and they mm. won't change. Mm. And they think they're right. I mean, there's plenty of gorgeous men over 50, but they tend to be unobtainable movie stars. Or Nigel. Or Nigel. I don't think Nigel's unobtainable. I think you need to think in your I head, think positive I thinking. Think he's got remarried. Just because he's he's put on a little bit of weight. He looks like people are feeding him. But he just could be <laughs> like sitting in a restaurant, really lonely, and I eating dessert to that, make him they? feel better. He probably eats out a lot. If he's single, he probably eats out a lot he's, he, with his career Not and everything. Not during lockdown in Sydney. If you eat out, you get shot. Well, maybe that's the problem. Maybe he's just stuck indoors. I'm going to find a positive spin on this somehow. I'm going to do it. You right, stop being negative, Nelly. Your theme this week, Nicola. Yes. Is you hate being around negative people. Yeah, negative people drive me insane. I'm always trying to put a positive skim on things. And while I think it's okay to sometimes feel sorry for yourself or sometimes be down, of course, and we've all got something that we're very down about, but I think you do have a responsibility to yourself and to other people to try and turn it around somehow because... They bring you down. Negative people bring you down, and that's not fair, and it drives me mad. So, for instance, okay, I'm going to give you some of my negative things, you know, this week. Martin comes in. He sees a bottle of wine on the counter, looks at it very hopefully. I'm like, no, that's for my vet. It's a little present to say thank you because she's been really good with my dog that wasn't well. So he says, she doesn't drink red wine. She drinks lager. I'm just like, will you... Just bugger off. Bugger off. A, I know she does drink it. And B, it's a gesture. Rather than be miserable about it, just say, that's nice that you bought a thank you present to show you appreciate her. Don't be negative. Then another person who shall remain nameless turned around and said to me, I was saying, I'm really pleased that I've lost this weight. You know, got a bit more to go, but I'm really pleased with how well it's going. When you do your skydive this weekend, you're going to drop like a stone. <laughs> It's going to be, <laughs> Better make sure there's no one vulnerable underneath me. A crater. <laughs> I will be responsible for the earth shattering. <laughs> so I was saying I was happy with my weight loss. They instantly, rather than saying, yeah, you did really well, they turned around and said, yes, but it always comes off slowest on your stomach, doesn't it? And you've got, you, you've got quite slim legs now and you've got, you know, quite a big stomach still. So now I'm a sodding egg on legs. Just say you've done really well. Maybe your mitt baby, mitt baby like Bridget, <laughs> your mitt baby. I remember years and years and years ago when I was I was really quite big and I was on the train going to work and on the underground and someone did, I had this sort of like dress that came out from my chest and sort of out and probably wasn't very attractive or, or, or well considered 
And this this man very kindly got up for me and said, oh, no, darling, don't you stand up in that condition. You sit down and have the seat. And I, I had this. you took the seat, though. Well, I had this dilemma, like, of you, pig, I'm not pregnant. You know, I'm not pregnant. I'm just fat to the, it's really crowded and hot and I really want the seat. So I then gently stroked my stomach. You did stomach. a Megan. You did a Megan. No, I did. I stroked my stomach and said, oh, thank you. That's so kind of you. And sat down cradling my stomach, loving the seat. I did. And then somebody else, doesn't end there, more negative people. My dog was really ill, but the vet said he should make a full recovery in a few weeks. It's just a question of getting him through it. Someone, I was talking to someone about it and they said, yes, but it's about quality of life. Do you think it's fair? Yes, it's bloody fair. I've had him for 15 years and he's doing fine, thank you very much, and he should be better in about six weeks. Yes, it's fair. Bugger off. I don't have any quality of life. You, oh, just shut up. <laughs> shut up. And then the last one, because I could go on forever, I made Martin his grand soup, which was his favourite soup, and he always How moans. How do you have time to do all this cooking? You keep posting cheesecakes and everything. Literally 10 minutes in the blender. Ten minutes, The recipe's there, 10 minutes in the blender. And he came in, I put a little squeeze of lemon in it just to lift it a bit. Well, he comes in, he tastes it. Uh, it's too zesty. It's too zesty. I can't eat it. He knows it. the word zesty. He knows the word zesty. And I'm like, there is no lemon I'm zest amazed. in it. There's no, there's no lemon zest in it. There's none. It's just a squeeze of lemon. I can't eat it. So I'd spent time and effort making soup that I didn't like to him to complain it was too zesty. Don't complain. Be Pour polite. It over him. Be polite. Pour it eat over a bowl. His head. Wouldn't you just eat a bowl, though? Just eat a bowl and shut up. Eat a bowl. And... So negative people, I am absolutely convinced that J.K. Rowling, when she invented the Death Eaters in Harry Potter, she had had those people that walk into the room and they can suck the joy out of a lottery win. I'm absolutely convinced she has someone in her life. You know, they walk into the room and the whole room just goes, Bleh. that's what the Death Eaters are based on. I swear to God. But on a positive note, Pollyanna, shut up, positive note, I'm doing my skydive on Saturday for Christmas Stray Rescue. So I may or may not be here next week. No, we might have to hire a replacement. Yes, I may be recording from my hospital bed. <laughs> I may have to do the podcast with Minnie Puppy. He's actually quite vocal. Well, oh. Liz, is, Liz is convinced I'm just going to drop. Like I'm just gonna take the take the sky Make sure man that with Martin me. doesn't tamper with your parachute because that's happened before, hasn't it? Now the buggers already started talking about the insurances, and I have again pointed out my insurance doesn't go to him. It doesn't. It doesn't go to him because I'm not having my death money spent on beer. It's not going to him. But yes, so you can still sponsor me if you are so inclined, and it would be much appreciated. I'm, I'm a bit scared. I'm listening to Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway hypnosis 24-7. I don't even like going up a ladder. You'll be you'll be strapped to some chap, won't you? You're not doing it on your own. I know. Well, no, I will be strapped to someone. But according to you, that's signing his death warrant. According to you, I'm going to plummet to the ground and take don't him with me. Don't land on any livestock. I think, I think you land on their own private land, so I wouldn't imagine. Yeah, but there <gasps> might be a walking sheep past. There might be a sheep walking past. No, I don't think it'll be a sheep. <laughs> I'm sure it'd move out of the way pretty quickly if it ah. saw me hurtling out the sky. <laughs> 
so sorry to interrupt, Liz, but we have a very important announcement that might just interest your listeners. There's another Mail on Sunday podcast and it could change your life. It's called Medical Minefield. Yes, where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. And that's with me, Barney Kalman, the Mail on Sunday's health editor. And me, Eve Simmons, the deputy health editor. Find us at mailplus.co.uk. So what about you? What about your your um, column this week? What, what are we doing? We've given up on men last week, haven't we? This week, it's all about London Fashion Week and how I emailed every single designer who was doing a live show for a ticket. And I said, I'm a big fan. I love your work. Was that true? Or was you just trying no. to get a ticket? <laughs> and all I got was one ticket to one show. All the rest said they didn't have any space. And I've just seen Alexander McQueen had a show in Wapping on the roof of a building a few days ago, and they didn't invite me to that either. No, that's a bit mean, isn't it? I don't know why I'm such a pariah when it comes to the fashion industry. Do you think it's because you're... Oh, well, I'll tell you why. Shall I tell you why? Go on. I was about to form my own conclusions, but you you go. This was last weekend, it, when you tweeted, come on, give me some money for my skydive. You can save pennies by not buying a coffee on the way to work or just reading that your newspaper online. So I replied and I actually said, if you just read your paper online, that means a lot of journalists can't feed their pets or pay their vet bills, mainly me. You need to support journalism. I was in a lot and then of I, trouble. I got attacked. And also, don't bite the hand that feeds you, Nick. And she said, well, who was that woman? I said, no, you. No, I was in a lot of trouble. Liz, Liz went on Twitter and then on iMessage. I was in very serious trouble. So I went on Twitter and I said, no, you need to support newspapers. Don't just read them online because, you know, how else would we have found out about thalidomide or people not paying their taxes or people's horrible affairs with office workers, etc., without the free press? And... I had loads of people attack me on Twitter and they were going, well, you, Liz Jones, you still get paid and you get paid for whatever you write, whether it's online or whether it's in print. Why why do you care? And I said, well, no, that's not the point. If journalism just relies on advertisers, so advertising on your website, no one ever pays to read a newspaper, you're relying on advertisers, which means you cannot be rude about the person who's paying your advertising. And this is what I went on and on and on about when I was at Marie Claire. I wasn't allowed to be rude about Chanel or Dior or say the McQueen show was crap because they'd take away the advertising and we'd have no money. So that was one point. And the thing about writing for the mail is we don't rely on advertising and I am free to say whatever I like about Marks and Spencers, John Lewis, because readers buy the paper or they subscribe to Mount Plus. That's why I never get any seats at these fashion shows because I've been rude pretty much about all of them. You know, so for Chanel, for example, when I was still at Marie Claire, I published a piece about how they made perfume and they still use real deer musk. And they were furious. I mean, they don't use it anymore. But I felt that was my job to inform women what's in your perfume. And also I felt it was my job to say, actually... I was really, really rude about Miu Miu, which is part of Prada. Mm. And I said, I bought this expensive suit 
from Miu Miu, and all the buttons fell off and the and it and it got bobbly and stuff, and they were furious. But I don't want same as if you review a film, you've got to be honest about course, it because yeah. your readers. Perhaps they're only going to buy one jacket in five years to go to their daughter's wedding and they buy it because I said it was fantastic and it turns out to be crap and the buttons no, fall off. That's not fair, not fair at all. So that's why I only got one seat at London Fashion Week. So... And it's funny, they wouldn't even let me on the bus. In London Fashion Week, and Cheryl thought this was quite funny, in London Fashion Week, for the lesser people who aren't editors and fashion directors, sort of more like students and fashion assistants and everything, bloggers, there's a bus that picks you up from each show and takes you to the next show. And they wouldn't even let me on the bus. Oh, dear. So I did a good thing, really, with my tweet then, because it gives you the opportunity to explain to people No, it really it upset me at the weekend. I only get one day when I'm not really doing anything at the weekend, apart from hard labour, poo picking. It really upset me is that even someone who I employ doesn't understand what I do. Well, it was a kind of quick thing, you know, let's get this money for this charity, let's save money. It can, and that's the thing, I think, with social media, because it's easy to bang a tweet out without really thinking it through. And obviously I didn't mean to upset you or disrespect you. But do you know how, you know... It was very clear I had. To get to to somewhere in journalism where you have a column and you have a voice and you have a unique way of writing and my feeling is that good writers is you always know who's writing because you can tell from what they're writing yeah yeah you can tell it's me you can tell it's Catna Moran you can tell it's Deborah Ross you can tell it's Janice Turner it takes an awfully long time and it takes doing newspaper shifts and working 14 hours a day and getting on an early flight that I'm going to talk about in a minute and going to very dangerous places to say you should do that without being paid and to, and you should if you're online. I don't think you anyone get, said that. No one said that. No, but she said, "Well, you get paid online anyway. You get paid less online than you do if it's in print." So that gave you the opportunity then to yeah, explain because people don't they know They all just that. think their own opinion, don't they? And they're never yeah. have, ever going to have their opinion changed. And it's why is a journalist's salary less valid? than... But it's not. Of course, it's not. anyone else's. No, of course, it's not. You know, I've exposed you know, abuse of horses in Ethiopia. I've exposed temple elephants in Kerala, children working in garment factories living in slums. I went inside their slum, which was actually in a better state than my last boyfriend's flat. But it can be incredibly difficult. You don't have a private life. Do you have people slagging you off? Yeah, you should get paid. And no, people shouldn't read it for free. Which is great because you so had you're the regretting you sent that. No, you, you had look at the, the opportunity money I've raised to explain for charity. It all. Exactly. So you had but the how opportunity can I do to it explain it if I'm not paid. But that's the good thing, isn't it? Because I can say something on on Twitter, and you can say, "Well, actually, no." But your role is to be supportive. I'm always supportive. Not saying that actually her job isn't worth paying for. I, no, I never said that. I never said you that. said read your papers online, save money. It was just a throwaway. If thing, everyone does that, it, papers make people redundant. Which you have now had the chance to explain, and we've all still corrected. And obviously, I deleted the tweet fairly quickly. Well, too late then. Yeah, no, it wasn't because I've been shouted at. So <laughs> anyway, so, so the the archive, the archive, da, da, which is da. From, which is from 2013, and it's, it was when I went to Bosnia. I tried to get Nigel to go there as well, but he couldn't. Bad Nigel. <laughs> Bad. And I went in 2013. Just and 
I had to walk 40 kilometres a day in the heat, up hills, through prickly hedges and past large signs with skull and crossbones on them saying, beware unexploded landmines. I was like Princess Diana. You were, so you weren't Megan, you were Princess Diana. I was her mother-in-law. You were. For a change. You're moving through the times. But it was quite funny because whenever I do these foreign stories, I'm never very well prepared. So when I went to Pakistan, I didn't have a headscarf. When I went to Afghanistan and I was meant to cover an earthquake, and I thought, oh, great, I'm sure it's quite warm there. But I didn't understand it was up a mountain and there was snow, so I who, wore flip-flops. Who, who says about covering an earthquake, oh, great, it's quite warm there? <laughs> who? I would expect rubble and devastation. No, it, who? Was, no, it was quite exciting, really, because I got on the plane <laughs> and everyone else on the plane... <laughs> were these camping experts and they were going to erect shelters and stuff. So I felt quite useful, even though I couldn't put up a tent when I went to Glastonbury. And then when you get off the plane and you're covering a natural disaster, you don't go through normal passport. There's a special queue that relief workers go. So I went through that queue. So I quite like that. (laughs) But I didn't realise there was snow. And the only way for me to get to the mountains to cover the earthquake at first, although I got a taxi the next time, I went in a helicopter with the American Air Force with all these soldiers, and they were all laughing at me, and they said, why are you wearing flip-flops? And I said, well, they're Havianas, they're Haviana flip-flops. And they said, no, but it's freezing up there and there's several feet of snow and no roads. And in an earthquake, one would assume that walking boots would be more No, I wore flip-flops. Oh, God. Anyway, to go to Bosnia, back to my archive... Da, da, da. 2013 without my practical one. I hadn't quite taken in that I had to walk 40 kilometres a day and everyone else, I was with a little group of women, um, and we were marching to Srebrenica where the Muslim atrocity took place and all those men and boys were murdered and every year people walked to it to sort of commemorate it. And they're all wearing hiking boots and they've got ski poles and they've got these reservoirs that they suck on like a teat the whole time and I'm in proper shoes carrying a big Prada handbag oh dear anyway I was on the annual peace march so this is showing you that I don't just write about fashion to the ex who said that I thought you just write about fashion from Nizak to the site of the massacre of Bosnian Muslims in Srebrenica 8,000 men and boys were killed and it was the start of the war in the Balkans. And I, I remember when the war in the Balkans was happening, and I remember thinking, gosh, Tony Blair isn't acting fast enough, and that incredibly famous quote, when good men do nothing, and we seem to be doing nothing. But I didn't really understand it. Unless you actually go there, yeah. it's this thing, and you don't know who's fighting who. But having gone there, I went through this tunnel under the airport where people used to escape. I walked it was like being in the Great Escape without yeah, Steve McQueen. awful. And I met a woman, and before the war, she, a normal life, went shopping and everything. She burnt all her expensive shoes to keep warm. And people, there were mixed ethnicity and mixed religion marriages, and when the war started, people would chop up their neighbours. Oh my this God. is a Western country that was like that was Yugoslavia beforehand. 
my mum and dad went on holiday there. I mean, it was a normal Western country. And the thing that really brought it home is you look at the um, hills and there's incredible poverty and mass unemployment and this terrible history, mass graves, all the houses are pockmarked. And you look at the hill, there's all these ski lifts and ski runs. And you're like, Sarajevo hosted the Winter Olympics in yeah. 1984 with Torval and Dean. So one minute, a country hosts the Winter Olympics and the next minute, people are chopping each other up. Terrible, awful. What on earth is wrong with people that and we I do this to really each other? I met this really lovely man um, called Elvira and he was the guide and he was as handsome as a movie star. And age 13, he was living with his parents, four brothers and one sister in Srebrenica. They had a nice house, they had mod cons. They were surrounded by Bosnian Serbs keen to purge the country of Muslims after the disintegration of Yugoslavia. His father and two brothers were taken away and shot point blank. I said to him, how can you still bear to live here? And he said, if I were to move away, they would have won. What a life. How awful. I said, why are you coming on this walk with us to the the site of the massacre? And he said, oh, I'm going to bury my brother. Um, he was shot when he was 18. Using DNA, we've been able to identify his remains. So he was actually walking to a funeral. Oh, my God. He said, we're only missing his ribs and his spinal cord. We will add those to the grave when we find him. See, we, we've got no concept, have we, about what other but people it showed, go through. But what, what it brought home to me is it can happen anywhere. Yeah. This isn't, you know, like when, people, when Rwanda happened, and I was on the Sunday Times when Rwanda happened, that was probably one of the worst stories I've ever done. People just chopping up their neighbours. But it can happen anywhere. It's no. not some sort of remote thing that we don't think is going to happen to us. No. Well, our lives are so safe, aren't, aren't we? We're so safe, we're so spoiled. It's sort of inconceivable how other people live or what happens to other people like that. It just, it's just And totally... I was staying in a hotel and there's... Normally, when I stay in a hotel like the Plaza Athena, there's like in the lobby, there's pictures of Elizabeth Taylor and Marlon Brando. And I go, oh, I'm in the same place as um, Leonardo DiCaprio. But when you go in this hotel, there's pictures of it burnt to the ground, having been bombed. Yeah. Anyway, I was with Women for Women International, which is this charity that gets women in affluent countries to mentor women in poorer countries such as Bosnia and give them advice and help them how do, how do you take out microcredit and that sort of thing so you become like a mentor. Yeah. And I met one woman and she said, when war broke out, I had three daughters, a husband who was working, a normal life. Our home was shelled. My husband, who was 35, was killed. Our house burnt down. I was raped. Any men who survived were made to dig graves. Neighbours attacked her. She never saw their faces as they wore masks. Hmm, wonder why we've got masks introduced in this country. And then I met another young woman and I said if she remembers the war, she was only five. And she said, oh, yes, me and my mum were locked in a garage while my dad was shot point blank. We never found him. I still miss him. I asked another woman whether she was angry at the West that we let the conflict go on and on and on. Only after the massacre in Srebrenica did Bill Clinton order airstrikes. I'm not bitter, she said. Life goes on. But that brings in that quote I just said, when good men do, do nothing. nothing. We yeah. did nothing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 
You can read this week's diary in full in the Man on Sunday's You magazine. Anyway, that was a bit serious. It was a bit serious. It's awful. But it just shows you these stories aren't just so that I can have a, a liaison with Nigel. They are to tell other people who might not have read about Bosnia, but they might have read it because they saw me in a T-shirt and, oh, well, maybe Liz Jones will do it entertainingly in her flip-flops carrying her Prada bag. It helps you understand conflicts. It helps you understand Bosnia because it's confusing. It, it helps yeah. you understand an earthquake in Pakistan where I couldn't understand where I went to this airport I went in a helicopter, I went to this earthquake and there were children with gangrene. Then I got a taxi and I was by my pool having a pineapple pina colada. And I'm like, why is no one in this town, um, it was Islamabad, the capital, why are none of you getting in taxis and going up there and fetching those children and bringing them down in taxis? Yeah. Why aren't you doing it? Yeah, yeah. So the next day I got a taxi and I took blanket. But it's so close the children with gangrene were a taxi ride away from my hotel. These people who were chopped up and shot point blank in front of their children, they hosted Torval and Dean. Yeah, awful. Bolero. I just don't know how we come how we come to behave in that way. You know, normal people that have lives and, and you get some sort of disaster. People just behave terribly yeah. rather than supporting each other. It's just, it's I think just we've shocking. had a little bit of going through COVID at people. I've had it, you know, I was in a pub and I said to the woman who served me for years and years and years, it really upset me and I started crying. I was wearing a mask, she was wearing a mask. And I said to her, Oh, isn't this ridiculous? Thinking she'd say, Oh, I know, Liz, it's so great the pubs are open, it's so lovely to have you back. She took her mask off and she said, If you don't like it, leave. Yeah. I was so upset that she could talk to me like that. I noticed quite a lot of aggression on things like that. And and even just see buying every sort of toilet roll and, and all that sort of thing. Yeah. It was so selfish. It was so, you know, and it created problems that didn't exist. Yeah. And it was unbelievable that in 2020, you know, we could behave in a way that But you it's also expect. given people, like that woman in the pub who I've tipped very well and I supported them and I got takeaways when they weren't open, could be rude to me. It's given people a licence to be rude to you. Yeah. And I, I told you about that lunch I went with my friend Isabel, some awful cafe near here, and I turned up and it was outside. And instead of the waitress saying to me, hello, welcome, what a lovely day, she said... You come in the wrong entrance. You come in. The... I said, "What's wrong with saying hello, good afternoon, thanks for coming?" Yeah, yeah. It's allowed people to be rude to us. Yeah. It's almost like this strange level of panic that's erupted. But no, I don't. Just isn't people logical. are panicked. I just think they love being rude. Yeah. And it's a way to boss you around. Rude people come up with negative people with me. I really, really, if if someone doesn't say please and thank you or be polite, it literally is the thing I hate most. Hate it. Every week, lots of you get in touch telling me what you think about my life and my decisions. So I think it's only fair that you get to have your say here on the podcast too. If you'd like to get in touch, then go to lizjonesgoddess.com or tweet me at Liz Jones Goddess. 
we've had a letter today already, haven't we, about me emailing Nigel, but we've got two more, haven't we? Yeah, no, but I I slotted Nigel in the appropriate place. Did you notice that? We (laughs) We have Heather, who says, Dear Liz, congratulations on today's article. It was not only beautifully written, but so true about life. Thank you. You're sincerely, Heather. But which one was it? It could have been one of many, really. I have absolutely no idea, but I thought it was a really nice letter. So I thought I'd just read it to you because it was a nice letter. Thank you, Heather. And we've got (laughs) my favourite today. We've got Jane Humphreys who says... Now, the thing about (laughs) Jane Humphreys, I have to take issue with her. She's emailing from her husband's email address. Women everywhere do not... Use your husband's email address to email from. Get your own email address. Yeah, but she's telling you off. Maybe she don't want you to have her address because she's telling you off. You can you can vent back at her husband, not I her. hate women who email from their husband's email address. It literally makes me want to scream. How do, all right, let me give you this one. How do you feel about combined email addresses? Like Jan it's and Tone. Bad enough. Jan and Tone. When I open Netflix, which I can't afford but Nick pays for, I see her login and it says, Nicola and Martin. <laughs> oh, Duke cook his dinner every day and on his pants. No, he'd rather have a pot noodle. <laughs> Even if I cook a nice dinner, he'd rather have a pot noodle. So Jane, who is using her husband's email address because, Ted, because you're going to tell her off. Says, it's so sad to read the bitchy comments you wrote in the Daily Mail today about Kate in her fab dress at the 007 preview. You need to get a life and stop waxing. Well, that's it from us this week. If you enjoyed listening to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast, why not visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and more. I'll be back next Sunday, but for now, I'm Liz Jones. And I'm Nick. Goodbye. Goodbye.